Well, hey, before we get started this morning, I have a picture I want to throw up on the screen. Um, this is where my weekend was last weekend. Did you get that, Ben, by the way? You tried. All right. Um, well, last week I was with, there it is, uh, about 400 middle school students uh, up at Camp Geneva. And what I love about that is that um, it was uh, people from all over uh, West Michigan, Holland, Zealand area coming from uh, different places of, of worship. And I'm, I'm using that phrase for a specific reason because uh, we came together as uh, part of the church in, in Holland. Uh, in Holland, Zealand area, and it's a group of uh, churches that are coming together and uh, working together all for the glory of Jesus, and that's what you see uh, up on the, the screen. And uh, I loved just uh, last weekend seeing Hart's middle school students uh, on their faces before the Lord, worshiping the Lord, seeking the Lord, pursuing the Lord, and I don't know about you, but it just encourages me so much that here's a group of teenagers that are willing to go all in for Jesus. And are they perfect? Absolutely not. I saw that all last weekend. Um, but their hearts are so in the right spot. And uh, I just love seeing that. Uh, the truth of, of the reality is that uh, we have one church in Holland, uh, in West Michigan, and Jesus is the head. And we just worship in a bunch of different places. And it's an absolutely beautiful thing uh, to see the body come together uh, for that. Um, and so that was uh, where I was last weekend. Uh, last weekend, uh, Britton shared uh, part two of a, a two-part series on what does God think about politics and government and all of that stuff. Um, and uh, I just want to say what a great two weeks. Um, Thanks to Ben and Britton for helping us with that conversation and really leading us through that conversation and keeping our eyes on Jesus. And uh, this morning, uh, I was thinking, you know, you might have felt like last couple weeks, a uh, conversation about uh, government and politics, that might have been a little uneasy or tense or like, yeah, how do we feel about that? But I thought, hey, this morning we'll just uh, make it a little bit more uneasy, going from the ballot box to the bedroom. So we'll just make that transition but seriously, when I saw the question, and I'm going to get to the question in a little bit, uh, this, uh, the one that we're looking at this morning, I just thought, like, seriously, when I saw this was uh, coming up on the, t on, on the list, and I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about that? Okay. And then Britton's like, hey, why don't you do that? And I thought, I grew up in a family that seriously, and I love my parents, but I grew up in a family where when we talked about sex, they could not even utter the word. They would say the word sex, they would be like, sex. And I'm like, that's where I grew up, and now I have to talk in front of all of you about this. Um, so, all right, so this is where we're going this morning, because you guys asked the question. And so the question that we're considering this morning, as we're talking about what does God think about a bunch of things, um, first of all, you guys asked some great, great questions. But the co conversation that we want to have this morning is this, what does God think about contraception? What does God think about contraception and what does God think about family planning, believing children are a gift and blessing, how do you decide you're done accepting more of his gift? I love how that was worded. <laughs> how do you know when your quiver is full? And we will get to that in a little bit. You guys are absolutely amazing. Um, really, this is a, a new question. Uh, for many years, for thousands of years, the church did not wrestle with this question. This question wasn't even uh, on their minds because they were in agreement. They were uh, against any forms of contraception. Until the early 1900s, this debate started to increase, started to arise. And really, on August 14th, 1930, was really when this conversation turned a corner. When a group of followers of Jesus said, you know what, they could see 
that it would be acceptable to use contraceptive methods. And so there was this conversation about contraception and uh, what do we do about this? What is our approach towards this? And you know, every day there are medical advancements. And we uh, appreciate medical advancements. I mean, if you got a new knee, if you are the recipient of a new knee, yeah, right there. There you go, Bree. Nice job. If you have received a new knee, you know the blessing of medical advancements. If you maybe have, you know, had a new knee, a new hip, you know the freedom that that brings you in your life. It is absolutely remarkable what the medical community can do. I mean, we can put a new heart in a person. I mean, that is absolutely crazy. We can take a hamstring and and put together uh, someone's knee again. It is absolutely amazing. Advancements in medicine are, you know, all over. But I think as followers of Jesus, we have to ask some questions. When the medical community makes advancements, we don't all of a sudden just accept what has happened. We have to ask questions and have to think about, okay, what is our approach towards whatever advancement as a follower of Jesus? How should we view this in light of the gospel, in light of what we read in God's word? What should our approach be to this? And that's why I love the question. Because in all honesty, um, millennials, younger generation, you guys can get a bad rap. But when it comes to things like this, I so appreciate your heart. Because this question was asked by a generation that is approaching marriage and planning a family and what does that all entail. And I love it that their hearts are seeking the Lord. Saying, God, what do you want? We don't want to just live in this world and go through our life. But no, we want to live in the world but not be of the world. And so, God, what is your heart? We want to be people who are seeking you first. And so for many in this room, this is not just a theoretical question to be talked about and discussed and and have ideas about. No, this is real life. This is what you guys are asking and what you're thinking about. Or maybe some of you in this room, you're in middle school or high school, someday you will be thinking about this question. And so this question is for all of us because we'll even get to the family planning part of it in a little bit. And that is a question that we all have to be thinking about because it entails the role of a parent and how do we disciple this next generation. But back in 2000, when I was married, and any story that I share, by the way, I always get permission from Cece, uh, my wife. She shares on the radio. I'm like, I can share it here, you know. But, so she gets permission and I get, I get permission from her. But back in 2000, when I was thinking about this conversation about what does God think about contraception, uh, we got married and I thought, you know what, we'll go uh, a couple years without kids, and we got a prescription for a contraceptive method, and that did not work well for us, and so we went off of that, and shortly after, we found out that we were pregnant with our first daughter, Grace. And as I look back on our journey in that, I really look and see like, how wrong I was in that, Because really, I took this approach when I said, all right, you figure that out, and you just let me know. I was pretty passive in regards to this question and this conversation. And that's why I love this question that the younger generation is asking, because they really want to seek and pursue these answers. And many of you, as I talked with you this week, as I shared the topic that we're going to talk about today, many of you were really free in sharing information about your life, and I so appreciated that. And your plans and what happened. But I know as we talk about family planning, I know as we talk and thoughts about contraception and all of this, I know there are people in this room who this topic brings up a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. Because you have experienced years 
of infertility. And you know that painful season, and maybe you're currently in that season right now, or maybe some of you in this room, you've lost a child. You've had to bury a child, something that no parent should ever, ever have to do. Maybe some of you lost a child because the child was taken away from you for a variety of reasons. Maybe some of you made the painful decision or the decision to abort a child, and talking about family planning, talking about all of this, brings up a whole bunch of feelings. And this week, I just was reminded of how broken of a world we live in. There's just so much brokenness, so much pain, so much hurt. And so as we approach this topic this morning, we need grace. Grace to work this out with one another. Grace to talk about this. Grace to have conversations beyond just one person standing up here on a stage. We need to have conversations that are free from shame, free from just these these heavy feelings. The church needs to be a place where we can share our desires, our fears, our failures. And this is what I love. God has given uh, us, the church, a family, a spiritual family, to have these conversations in, to talk with, to pray, to challenge one another. That's what I love about house church. It's a smaller setting where you can have conversations about this. So we need grace. And I also know that I need grace. And I hope as we talk about this this morning, you hear my heart, my desires. See, I don't want you to encounter my opinions as we talk about this. I want you to encounter Jesus. And on Monday, as I was talking with somebody about this, I shared what maybe some of you are thinking right now. I shared, I don't know if I should be talking about this. Because I'm a, a man talking about a women's issue. And I shared that, and this person corrected me, and I'm so thankful that they corrected me. They said, for so long, we've thought about this as just a women's issue, but you've got to be thinking in, in marriage, in the context of marriage, marriage uh, in the church is this picture in Genesis 2 where we see that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So when it comes to marriage, when it comes to issues within marriage, there is no such thing as followers of Jesus when it comes to marriage, there's no such thing as a women's issue or a man's issue within marriage. It's a we issue. It's a together issue. And that's what grieved me as I reflected on my past and thinking about how I let Cece just make this decision. I'm like, ah, I was so wrong. I was so passive. And so men in this room you are married, I want you to lean into this conversation because you might be thinking, oh, I don't have to talk about this. No, you do. And if you are going to be married someday, you will have to have these conversations, and this is something that you need to be doing together. There's this revolutionary, radical verse out of 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4, and Paul is talking to husbands and wives, and he paints this picture of marriage And the reason that we have to have this conversation together, in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, it says this, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Now, in the first century, they would say, yeah, that makes sense. Because, sadly, women were viewed as property of men. But here's where Paul gets revolutionary. He says, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And it just paints this picture again that in marriage, it is not two separate people, but no, you're together, you're one. And so when it comes to conversations, 
and conversations about contraception within marriage. This has to be a husband and wife conversation. And as I begin, I know there are a lot of different circumstances and a lot of different situations. And so if you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have thoughts, email me, dave at moranpark.org. Give me a, give, shoot me an email. I've talked with a number of people this week, and I might not be able to answer your question, your specific issue, but I can pass you along to people who have talked about this, thought about this, prayed about this so much more than myself. And so shoot me an email, and I'll point you in the right direction. But when it comes to the question, what does God think about contraception, the difficulty with this question is that there's not just one verse that we can point to. Because 2,000 years ago, they weren't wrestling with this question. And so there's not just one verse that we can say, hey, here, go to this passage and read this passage and you will get a very specific answer. But there are some passages that we can look at, some principles that we can think through, and some questions that we can ask and hopefully come up with some sort of answer to this question. And so just so you know, when we're talking about contraception, really contraception is methods and technology that are intended to prevent conception. And conception is when a child is conceived. And as followers of Jesus... We believe that life begins at conception. When an egg is fertilized, this is the beginning of human life. Turn to Psalm 139, popular psalm, Psalm 139, and we see this clearly. David is reflecting on his life, and he's sharing this. He says, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I love that imagery. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That God was there in his mother's womb, paying careful attention to put him together. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Again, do you see that picture of God just intricately involved in the formation of a life? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Wasn't even, didn't even take the form of a baby yet. Unformed substance. When a cell was dividing and growing, David is saying, your eyes saw that. He goes on to say, in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Get this picture when it comes to life, that life begins. Life begins, for us as far as of Jesus, life begins when a sperm fertilizes an egg. That is the beginning of life. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before, God says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. If we think about the birth of John the Baptist, we see how much God values baby that is being formed in the womb. Get this picture in Luke 1, verse 15, I believe, that it says as the angel was telling Zechariah how his wife Elizabeth was going to conceive and give birth to John the Baptist, says that the Holy Spirit will fill him even when he's in the womb. You think about that. The Holy Spirit fills the very presence of God, fills people that are alive And so the Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist even when he was in the womb. And that just is another picture and reminder of how precious life is to God. That even in the womb, God's presence dwelt within John the Baptist. 
And so this is very important for us to realize. This is really the the foundational question for us as followers of Jesus. When does a life become a life? And it begins at conception when the egg is fertilized. It's clear in Scripture. God is present, forming a life, shaping a life, breathing life into this person. Now, just one little important note in regards to this conversation about contraception is that a couple years ago, in the late 60s and 70s, for many years, people believed that this was the case, what life began at fertilization. But a couple years ago, 20, 30, 40 years ago, there was a change in the definition of when life began. People, didn't, people moved from this idea that life began when an egg was fertilized to when now people see that life begins when it is implanted in the uterus, when the egg is implanted in the uterus. And it was a subtle change, and we'll get to the reasons why that is important in a little bit. Because as we think about contraception, we have to think about life. What does God think about all of these different methods that are out there? And there, is, there are so many different methods. So much that I learned even this week researching this. There's hormonal contraception. There's implants, IUDs, hormonal and copper IUDs. Another form of contraception, blocking methods, condoms, cervical caps, diaphragms. There's natural planning methods where you keep track of your cycle and and when you're the most fertile. There's sterilization, the permanent approaches, a hysterectomy, a vasectomy, tube tying. And all of these, people are talking about all these these things differently, but the one that I want to focus on even right now is the hormonal contraception piece because this is where there's a lot of conversation. And these work in three ways. First of all, it prevents ovulation, prevents uh, the ovaries from releasing an egg. Secondly, it causes um, the sperm not to fertilize the egg. Difficult for the sperm to get through. But then there's a third way that these work, and it weakens the lining in the uterus, making it very difficult for a fertilized egg to implant. Why do I bring this up? Why do we have this conversation? Because I want to pose, bring some information so that we can ask good questions as a follower of Jesus. Because the first two ways it works are purely contraceptive in nature. But there is that third way. If potentially and purposely um, an egg does get fertilized, sperm makes it through and an egg is fertilized, The third way is that it doesn't allow this fertilized egg to implant into the uterus. And so what you need to be aware of is some of these forms, these hormonal contraception, doesn't always prevent ovulation, doesn't always slow down the sperm, and if that doesn't happen, you will end up with a fertilized egg that won't implant and grow because of the less hospitable environment that it has. And so it can be abortive in nature. And I think as followers of Jesus, we need to ask this question when it comes to contraception without getting into all the details. What forms of contraception uphold and honor the sanctity of human life? What forms uphold and honor the sanctity of human life? Because there's contraception that absolutely, no question, honors and upholds the sanctity of human life. While there are those that are abortive. Methods that aren't abortive, abstinence, not having sex, which isn't the best for your marriage, but hey, there's natural family planning method where you keep track of the calendar and the rhythms and the cycles of a woman's body. 
There's barrier methods, there's sterilization for those who have come to the conclusion that the Lord doesn't want them to have any more kids. But there are some methods that are concerning, and it is all wrapped around the hormonal contraception. And here's my point in this. My plea for you is not just to listen to me. I'm not a doctor. I didn't even take a chemistry class in, in high school. But I talked to a lot of people this week. My question is, my, my point is, seek the Lord. Ask questions. Get information. If you're not comfortable with science behind all of it, pursue another alternative. There are options. Please know my intention, even in sharing this, is not to shame. There is grace upon grace upon grace. But my hope is maybe this raises some questions in you. And you, as a husband and wife, pray about this, talk about this with people, ask questions, pursue information. And this process has to be saturated with the gospel. Because some of the times you can be like, ah, I didn't even know. And it can produce godly sorrow, but know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But my plea would be for you is to be careful. Do your research and use a method that promotes life. Because we want to be about life Life that begins when an egg is fertilized. And so on to the second question of what, is, uh, what about family planning? What does God say about family planning? You know, in Scripture it says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Have babies. It's the first commandment in Scripture. Be fruitful and multiply. And we can read that passage and then have the question of like, okay, well then how many do I have? God, how, what number, you know, do you have in store for me? And here's my big point, the thing that I would ask you to do is, as husbands and wives, pray together. Ask the Lord. Seek the Lord's information on this. Pursue Him and have Him tell you. Stacy is leading a, a class right after our service together on how to hear from the Lord. That would be an excellent thing for you to go and, and learn this afternoon. How do you hear from the Lord? How do you hear His voice? But my big thing is trust the Lord and pursue a direction from the Lord. But the thing that we have to think about is why do we even ask this question? What is our motivation behind this question? And I know it is pure, but I also think it, it, it unfolds and reveals, reveals some unpure motives. Because we can have this thought that when we get, get married, when we're going to embark on this life of having kids, we think like, oh, give me a couple years. I want to kick my feet up. I want to relax. I want to uh, enjoy life. I want to travel. I want to, to see the world. I want to do things because uh, my life is my own and I, I want to experience life when I'm young. And we can think, oh, in a couple years, then I'll have kids. But I wonder as we think about that, have we given way to an idol of comfort and control in our life? Thinking that, oh, life is going to look exactly like this. But it also reveals something that I want to poke at this morning, is what is our perspective, our opinion towards children? In the church, how do we view children? How do we view kids? Because we can think about that. We can think like, I'm going to have a couple years and then I'm going to, to have kids. It can perpetuate this idea, this thought that is not the way that the Lord sees kids. And it can perpetuate this thought that kids are a burden and not a blessing. That, oh, they're going to take so much time and energy, and it's going to be draining on my bank account. And you know what? It will. <laughs> I'm not saying that that's not going to happen. Believe me. But do we look at it as, look at them as a burden instead of a blessing? You know, I, I thought, like, 
uh, last week I was thinking, you know, I should come out here and say, you know, what is the best form of contraception? Attending a middle school winter camp. <laughs> Go up there and attend it, like come with me in a couple weeks for the high school winter camp, and hey, it'll change your thinking on, on kids and all of that. But as I thought about that, I was actually convicted deep in my spirit. Because I, even like in thinking about that, it perpetuates this attitude towards children, that they're a burden and not a blessing. And it's not how God sees kids. It's not how Jesus sees kids. Look at Matthew 18, 3 through 6. Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus, isn't that a little harsh? My goodness. But look at how he saw kids. He said, if anyone causes them to sin, I'm going to dump them in the ocean and they're going to drown. Like, That's how he saw children. And in Mark 10, the disciples were trying to keep all of these kids away from Jesus. And Jesus says this, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. We have to really ask ourselves, do we have this deep value in regards even to family planning, do we have this deep value towards children? That, that God brings husband and wife together to form a family, to become one. And in marriage is this beautiful physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual Im- intimacy that has the ability to produce a child. But so often we look at that and we're like, oh, there's such a burden no, do we in the church have this view of kids as such a blessing because the world, in all honesty, we can sing, I believe that children are the future, teach them well and let them lead the way. We can sing that song, but do we really believe that children are such this gift? But too often we view them as expensive, interruptions to career and stuff, taking away our freedoms, a burden, someone or something that I can plan. And in church we can even have this attitude. We can even have kids be noisy in church, noisy in a gathering. And what is our reaction? We're like, ugh. We can get frustrated. And I just think we have to really check ourselves, check our attitudes. Do we see kids as a blessing? Because in that, we will find our purpose as parents, as people in the church. Turn to Psalm 127. Because I think as we talk about family planning. As we talk about planning, we need to be talking about the purpose of parenting when we're talking about planning. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage, or another version says, gift from the Lord. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are a blessing. Children are a gift from the Lord. However they enter your family, they are a gift from the Lord. 
there are families here in this room that have been formed by adoption. And you might have thought your life was going to look one way, but God had a different thing in mind. And that journey from over here to over here wasn't full of roses and popsicles. I don't know why I picked those two. (laughs) Filled with pain, filled with questions, filled with searching. But God has formed your family maybe biologically. You were able to have a child, maybe through adoption. Maybe even your child was taken away and God has formed your family and brought your child back into your life, has formed your family through redeeming your family. Whatever way your family was formed, I want us to realize this morning that children are a blessing, are a gift from the Lord. No matter how frustrated you get, no matter how often you're like, oh, this conversation is just at the wrong time, no matter how many times they come asking for money, no matter how many times they come asking for stuff, no matter how many times they come and they punch punch you in the gut or just a little bit below the gut, Zane, they are a blessing from the Lord. Is this how you see your child right now? Is this how you see them? I want you to turn to them. If your child is right by you, even if they're 20, 30, 40, 50 years old and they're your child sitting next to you, I want you to look in their face and say, you are a blessing. Because it is so true. Children are a blessing. Children are a blessing in our families. Children are a blessing in the church. And you know what? If you're here today, you are somebody's child, you are a blessing. You are a blessing to this world. You might not have heard that. No one ever spoke that over your life, but you are a blessing. You are a gift to this world. You're a gift to Moran Park. You're a gift to this gathering even right here today. You are a blessing. We have to start seeing kids this way. But parents, you also need to know if you are blessed to have child, like whatever, however they entered your family, and this is what Psalm 127 says, the arrows in a quiver. However they entered your family, you have a calling. Just like a warrior is responsible for arrows, we have a great responsibility as parents to nurture, care, protect, and disciple our children. What in life could be more important than that? You have the God-given responsibility to to have a huge impact in shaping a human soul. This is a huge impact that you can make, an impact that will long outlive you. And here's the thing, you have a calling. And many people feel like they don't, they're not equipped. There's no way that they can do that. But here's the thing, you have what you need as a parent to raise the children that the Lord gives you. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit and God will be with you to guide you and lead you. The other thing that I've heard from parents is I I wish I was like this parent or that parent and they quickly compare themselves to somebody else. And that always grieves me because I know for beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the parent, the exact parent that your child needs. You're the best parent for your child. It's a huge honor and calling that you have been given by God to raise and parent a child. But know this, your sense of worth or value doesn't come from what you do as a parent. It comes from who you are in Christ. So even as I talk about parenting, there is a whole aspect that, that, that God calls people to singleness as well, and that is just as valuable. But you have a calling, parents. You have a calling, church, to raise and disciple the next generation. But you have a purpose. And this is what I love because an arrow, what's the purpose of an arrow? 
is to be shot out, shot out. And as it's shot out, it makes an impact somewhere. But as we prepare to shoot these arrows out, they have to be prepared to go out. See, our greatest calling is to raise up a next generation, to, to parent, to nurture, to love, to disciple. But that is the thing that you need to remember as you think about family planning, that you as a parent, your greatest job isn't just to get them in school, a certain school. Your greatest job isn't to make sure that they are involved in a bunch of activities and athletics. Your job isn't for them to, to go on great dates or whatever or get a good job. No, your greatest job is to tell them about Jesus to teach them about Jesus, to speak words into their life, to tell them, proclaim the goodness that you have found in Jesus. Whether you're in the car or you're at home, to talk with them about Jesus. But in addition to just talking about Jesus, you need to show them with your life. They need to see it in you. Deuteronomy says this, this picture that we need to teach our kids and talk about, talk about the Lord as we go from place to place. But it says also, write it on your foreheads. Well, we're not writing things on our foreheads but our kids need to see it lived out in us. And in all honesty, that's the hardest part. But you have a purpose, parents, and the purpose is to point your kids to Jesus because they will be sent out into the world. At some point, they will leave your house. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but as they're shot out, are they shot out fully equipped? But here's the thing. Here's the thing that scares me the most. This is a high calling as a parent, high challenge as a parent. But here's the thing that scares me the most because an arrow will be shot out. And I can say, hey, just get ready to you know, train up your kids, to get ready to shoot them out, and it's going to be all great. But you and I know that there are some things that we can control, but there's a lot that we can't when it comes to parenting. And here's the thing that scares me the most. My number one prayer for my kids is that they would love Jesus with their whole heart. That they would see Jesus, that they would fall in love with Jesus. It's something I pray for every single day of their life. But the thing that scares me is that I can't control that. I can't change their heart. That is up to God. I can shoot them out, I can train them up, but we all know with an arrow, it can have a certain direction. It can go kind of in a direction, but wind can come along and change things. And so as parents, as people who are raising up a next generation, the number one thing that we can do is pray. Pray that the Lord would capture their heart because I can shoot this thing and kind of know where it goes, but it can go in all different directions. And there are some of us in this room as parents, even as we're thinking about planning and family planning, think that we can control things. And just put it all in a nice package and then boom, done. But the truth is, you can't. But we know the one who can get a hold of their hearts. And so our job is to point them to Jesus and pray our faces off that they would open up their heart to him. And so when you think about family planning, the reason I did all of that is like we have to take into consideration what we're stepping into and ask the Lord, all right, Lord, what, who, how many would you have for me? How many do you want me to disciple? I thought I was good with three, and then Zane came along. A ah, little curveball. But even as that happens, do we trust the Lord in that process? As difficult as it may be, as joy-filled as it may be, do we trust the Lord all along the way? Let's pray.
Father, I thank you. I, I thank you that we can first and foremost call you Father, that you are a good Father, that you love your kids, so much so that you would lay down your life for us. And Father, as, as we pray and as we even think about this topic of contraception and family planning, God, I pray for, for couples that are asking this question, couples that are seeking your wisdom, your advice. God, I ask that you would be so loving and gracious to walk with them all along the way. God, that you would have, um, that you would show them specifically what they're to do. God, and for those who are in this room who are in the midst of just the, the painful uh, experience of, of infertility and wanting and desiring kids, God, that is so painful and so hurtful. I pray and ask that your peace would fill them, that your presence would minister that to them in a powerful way this morning. And God, I ask for parents in this room, God, that we would take this responsibility seriously, knowing that you have equipped us, that you have filled us, that you have given us all that we need to, to parent the kids that you have blessed us with. And God, I pray over kids, I pray over the children of, of Moran Park, God, that they would have hearts that are so, just solely just desirous of you, that are hungry for you, that, that desire you and you alone. And God, that we would be people who glorify and, and endorse and embrace life all the way from when it, a life is, is conceived, walking through those growing up years and those adult years, that we would take that seriously and walk with them all along the way, also that the world can see a different way. God, change our hearts. Help us to see kids the way that you see them. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.